We've been in a series called Well Played, and um, I'm going to go at it from a slightly different angle um, this week. We've kind of been talking about um, a life well played is essentially fulfilling the plan, purpose, and destiny that God has for you, what he's called you to do. And the Bible is clear and talks about that salvation is a free gift. Free gift of salvation, it comes to us um, by faith in Jesus. It's not by good works. It's not by good merits. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But the Bible also talks about something um, called heavenly rewards. And these rewards actually are contingent upon the things that God calls us to do in this life. And so we've kind of been talking about that the last few weeks. And maybe next week I'll tie those two together and show you how they're actually paradoxically connected. But this week I want to go at it from a slightly different angle. And I just want to ask this question to start off. How many here were last week and heard heard Matt Tarka preach? That was a great message, wasn't it? Matt, that is Matt's bread and butter. He is, um, he's a grace guy. That is his message. And I actually um, meet with Matt and a couple other guys, usually about once a month. And um, we just get together and we talk about, the, you know, whatever comes up. Inevitably, when we're talking, it always comes back to grace. And we start talking about the grace of God and how awesome it is. And so I just kind of... I just kind of coined the, uh, I, I nicknamed the group the Grace Pack. So now when we send out a text, hey, is the Grace Pack getting together, you know? Um, but that guy is, is, is awesome. He carries that message. And it was, it was amazing. Like, like last week was an amazing service. Matt had an amazing message. And it was, cra- like, do you guys remember what was happening with the microphones? Craziness. Now listen, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not the kind of guy that looks for a devil under every rock. <laughs> but that was crazy. Like we went through four microphones. But I know that like a lot of people were touched by that message that Matt gave, and 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 on top of that, we recorded the message, and then it got like deleted. We don't even have the message; like you can't even go back and listen to it. So <clears throat> it's very sad. But um, don't worry; we'll have Matt back sometime, and we'll just have him do the same message. You know, <clears throat> it was it's good stuff. But um, speaking of the enemy of our souls, um, in this series, we've been asking the question. <clears throat> We've been asking the question, oh, one other thing I want to say about Matt. He had that word of knowledge. He had a few words of knowledge. And sometimes, you know, like Jory takes a risk up here. We take a risk. Emily takes a risk. Sometimes you guys don't see the byproduct of that. Many, many times there are people after service that come up and say, like, actually, that was me. We had a, um, a couple that um, came up, and they didn't owe that specific amount, which is what he said, um, on a bill or something like that. But they actually said, that is the exact number that's in our checking account right now, and we're under tremendous financial pressure at the moment. And so the Bible actually talks about, with, with words of knowledge, the Bible talks about that we actually see through a glass dimly. Like, sometimes we get a picture, an image. It's not always, like, the perfect picture, and we just kind of go with it, and God, like, unfolds it sometimes. And, and that's just the way we see. That's just, we don't have perfect revelation. But God shows us uh, images and glimpses of things that he's trying to reveal to us. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of tell you that. That, that, that actually did, I, I feel like that panned out um, quite well. <clears throat> but one of the, speaking of the enemy of our souls, one of the biggest strategies of the enemy of our souls is to keep us in a performance-based mentality and not under a grace mentality. You will go way further under the grace of God than you would go under performance-based Christianity, like light years further, okay? And um, because of this, um, I want to stay on this subject for one more week, okay? Um, A life well-played, this is a serious one, a life well-played understands the grace of God. Your life well-played 
is, is you understanding the grace of God and the gift of righteousness in your life. And I want to just, I want to camp on this one week. And I know you, 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 you got something last week. Maybe some of you like got that breakthrough. I want to press in a little more because I want to make sure we shatter this thing. Truthfully, <clears throat> we could do a whole series on this and we probably will revisit this topic from time to time because it's all over the Bible. It's all over scripture. It's like the theme of the Bible, okay? We will come back to this, but I want to just take another week and hone in on this. Okay, the title of my message today is called Double Down. I want to double down on the message that Matt gave, but from a slightly different angle, okay? The question that that kind of provoked me to come back to this is Matt asked the question. And this question is what actually is the litmus test, as Matt put it, of what will determine whether you're operating under under the law or under performance-based Christianity, or you're operating under grace, God's performance Christianity, right? He asked a question, and this is a litmus test. Here's the, here's the question. And quite frankly, after he asked the question, it was a little too quiet in here. <laughs> I want a little more people to say, you know, yes. This was the question. Do you believe that you are righteous? Yes. Come on, see. Okay, that was the response I was looking for. If you had done that last week, I would have preached something else. So, <laughs> Do you believe that you are righteous? Okay, yes. come on. Yes. Listen. All right. Okay. All right. Let's pray and go home now. (laughs) Y'all are righteous. Eat lunch early. Um, You may or may not live your life with that revelation from day to day, but the fact of the matter is, if your faith and your trust is in Jesus, you are righteous. That is your position before God, okay? Just to make sure everyone's clear on what is, Matt didn't really give a definition of righteousness. What is a definition of righteous? Righteousness is you're in right standing, right relationship with God, right? It implies that you're fully approved, you're fully accepted, and totally pure before God. Okay? That's what righteousness is. Now remember, this righteousness isn't based upon your good merits and your good deeds, it's a gift, okay? So it's a righteous by faith. Let me read this verse, Romans 3, uh, 21. It says this, But now apart from the law, or apart from performance, I put in parentheses there, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets, so all over the Old Testament, the law and the prophets testified of this. Okay, notice whose righteousness this is. It's God's. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God. Okay, so it's his righteousness. Okay, go to verse uh, uh, 22. This righteousness, which righteousness? God's righteousness, okay? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace, um, by grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus, okay? It, when you come to Jesus, he gives you the gift of righteousness. It's a gift, and it, it not only... Um, it's, it's not, you don't do righteousness, you are righteousness. Like you become, actually it's, um, the scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.21, I won't pull it up, but it says, um, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, that's part of your identity. When my wife married me, I gave her my last name. I gave her the name Chamberlain, right? Her identity, the way she was identified, changed. All right. When you come to Jesus, the way that you identify, the way God sees you, the way the world should see you, changes. You become Mr. and Mrs. Righteousness. I don't know. <laughs> After we got married, um, my father-in-law, 
sometimes he just, you know, just does things and, and forgets what he's doing. But anyway, he wrote a check to, to me, like wrote a check to me one time and it said, Kurt Lundstrom. I'm like, babe, what is he doing? Like, that is emasculating. <laughs> yeah, like, that's his last name, <laughs> Kurt Lundstrom. Anyway, we're Chamberlains, you know? Okay. But my wife, she took, he was a, it was an accident. He didn't do that on purpose. But my wife took my last name. She became a Chamberlain. It was a, it was a, a gift that I gave to her, okay? And I got, I got the name Chamberlain from my father, Wilt Chamberlain, okay? <laughs> my father before me, Wilt Chamberlain. Go ahead and put up, we have a picture of Wilt Chamberlain. This is my father. Can you see the family resemblance? My legs aren't quite as long. I'm not as tan, but that's my father, Wilt Chamberlain. Okay. <laughs> okay, so are you trusting in Jesus? How many are trusting in Jesus? You're trusting in Jesus for salvation, okay? If you didn't raise your hand, maybe you could. We'll do salvation. Okay, we'll do salvation call at the end. Okay, now how many people who raise their hand? How many raise their hand are righteous? You're trusting in Jesus? Right. So it should be the same amount. If you're, you're trusting Jesus and righteous. It should be the same number of people. Okay, I want to take this a step further this week. And I want to say this. You have room to grow in grace and love if there's any fear in your life, any fear of punishment, and any looming regret in your life. If you have any fear before God or any looming regret, you have room to grow in grace and in love. We're going to deal with both, okay? First, we'll deal with the fear thing. Matt quoted this verse last week, but I want to hit it home once again. 1 John 4.18, it says this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If you have... This, we're not talking about the fear of the Lord. That's, kind of a, that's a different subject. I'm not going there today. I'm talking about the ability to approach God... Are you afraid of being punished? Are you afraid of being punished for your sins? If you are, if you're afraid he's going to cast you out, reject you, you're going to be punished for your sins, you haven't been made, if you're a Christian, you haven't been made perfect in love, there's place for you to grow into. Okay, the one who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's not a statement to condemn you, like, oh, I haven't been made perfect because I fear. No, listen, that, that's just saying you have something to grow into here. If you have fear before God, you're afraid that you're going to be punished for your sins. You have some, congratulations, you have something to grow into, and I'm happy to be the one to let you know that today, okay? The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. We should have no fear before our God. We should walk with no fear. We should walk with the feeling of total, total um, freedom, that we're pure, we're holy, we're spotless before him, and he accepts us and loves us the way we are, okay? Amen? And he does change us, of course. Okay. So that's, that's fear. We should, if you have any fear, you have something to grow into. So just let, let grace do its work in your life. Okay, let's deal with the regret thing now. If you have any regret, and this one's a little bit, been a little bit harder for me. I, I believe I'm righteous. Of course I believe I'm righteous. But regret has been a little bit harder thing in my life. Okay, if you have any regret in your life, you have room to grow in God's grace and in God's love. Now I'm not talking about like, would I have done things differently? Of course, like, yeah, I would have done a lot of things differently. I would have done things differently yesterday if I could do this yesterday over, like, but my 20s and my teens, like, I would have done a lot differently, of course. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, that's just having a different perspective and being a little bit more wiser, right? What I'm talking about is when you wake up or you, you, you wake up in the middle of the night or you go to bed at night or whatever, there's just this looming regret, like, oh, that was, ah. Oh. You just, you live with something that's, 
It's, it's, you're bound by it, okay? That's what I'm talking about, that, that regret. If you have any regret like that, you have room to grow in grace. You have room to grow in love. It's something that's haunting you, that looming feeling of regret. I've, I've struggled with regret from time to time in my life because I hate wasted time. I hate wasted opportunities. But the grace of God and love of God is so powerful, it should be able to cleanse us even from that, even from the, the, the sense of a missed opportunity, even from the, oh, that was so wrong what I did. The grace of God and love of God should be able to cleanse us from that. So either you have regret either because of things you did or you wish you had did or maybe things that were even done to you that were out of your control. You, even, even that regret the blood of Jesus is enough for. Okay, things you, you did that you shouldn't have done, things that you should have done that you didn't do, things that were done to you that shouldn't have been done to you. They treated me this way. Even the blood of Jesus is enough for that, Okay. I'm honored to be the one to tell you that there is something greater for you to grow into, a love and a grace greater for you to look, grow into if that's you, okay? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves, what is that? No regret. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death, okay? There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regret. There's a, there's a worldly sorrow. Okay, so we don't want to be under the worldly sorrow. We want to be under the godly sorrow. It leaves no regret in our lives. Okay? I remember, um, how many know um, Todd White? He's an evangelist speaker. I've had, him, I've had him out here in Colorado a few times to speak at events that we've done. And I remember after one of the times he spoke, he had a, a former gang member that came up to him. And this gang member said... Okay, you're talking about righteousness, faith righteousness, the gift of righteousness, right standing, right relationship before God, being freely justified, all these things. And this gang member was like, what if there are people that aren't here, that should be here, but they're not here because of me? And this guy didn't say like what that meant. I don't know if he like murdered people or if he gave drugs to people that died or you know, went drunk, got drunk driving and killed, I don't know. I don't know what the situation was. And, and I'll have to... I'll have to clarify this. I think Todd even answered back and said, there are people that aren't here because of me as well. Todd had a crazy lifestyle before that. I'll have to clarify that with him some other time. Don't quote me on that. But, but this is what Todd said to him. The blood of Jesus has to be enough even for that. The blood of Jesus. And Todd's like, there are terrible things in my past that I did. He's like, but I don't live bound to them. I'm free. Of course he would change them. Of course he would do them differently. But the blood of Jesus can so set you free but the things you did, the things that were done to you, the things you should have done that you didn't, don't have to, that looming regret doesn't have to, you don't have to live your life like that. Yes, there were missed opportunities, but that looming regret, the blood of Jesus can so set you free that you don't live bound to that thing every day. If, if that's not you, if you're not experiencing that freedom in Christ, and you would, oh, if I had done this, if we had done this, if we tried this, if they hadn't done that, if they'd understood, you know, if you live that way, the grace of God and the love of God has a place to grow in your life, Okay. I just want to put that out to you. Okay, so Todd said to this guy, the blood of Jesus has to be enough for that sin, and it is enough, so just believe it. Believe it is enough because it is. The Apostle Paul was in that category. The Apostle Paul had persecuted the church and Christians, and people were martyred because of Paul's persecution, right? Paul went on to be, he wrote most of the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles, Right? That's, that's the power in the blood of Jesus, and that's available to us today, okay? Okay, so any, if you have any regret, any fear in your life, there's a place for you to grow. 
That's how free God wants us to be. It's really good news. Come on. Okay, I want to go at this from one more angle, and I want to just talk about the difference between law, the law, and grace, okay? Just so everyone's on the same page, the law is, um, in the Bible, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, there were ten, and then 600 and some odd other commands that were given, that's the law. So, lots of, lots of duties, lots of, lots of rules, okay? In, in Romans 7, Paul uses an illustration to describe the difference between law and the difference between grace. He says it's like being married to two different husbands, okay? One husband is domineering and demanding. The other husband is loving and tender and always brings the best out of you. Now, ladies, I don't, this is not a trick question, but which one would you rather be married to? <laughs> the loving and tender husband who brings the best out of you or the domineering, controlling, condemning husband? You can answer. It's okay. The first one. Okay, good. All right. Let's read. I want to read this, and hopefully this makes sense to you guys. Romans 7, 1 through 3. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who are under the law, that the law has authority over someone as, only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the, the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. Whether you like it or not, you and every human in the world were born in sin and born under the law. You were born into an arranged marriage under the law. Whether you like it or not. And, and that law was... 10 plus 600 some odd commands. Okay, so you were married to a list of rules whether you like it or not. Every person was born in sin under the law in this world, okay? Now, I could give you scriptures that would prove that, but I don't have time for that. You were born married to this mean and domineering husband. We're gonna call this husband Mr. Law, okay? You were, you were born married to Mr. Law. Mr. Law, he condemns you and crushes you. He stirs up sin and provokes more sin. Mr. Law um, brings an awareness of God's wrath. Mr. Law makes you feel unworthy. He oppresses you. Mr. Law presses, uh, um, places transgressions square on you. Let me tell you what he doesn't do. Mr. Law doesn't make you righteous. He doesn't give you life. He can't and won't save you. He, he doesn't give you strength. He doesn't give you any power to overcome sin. And he doesn't make you holy. That's Mr. Law. We're all born married to Mr. Law. Every person was born in sin, under Mr. Law, under this authoritarian and domineering husband who points out all your faults. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And he never, and he never lifts a finger to help you. So you have all these lists of rules and he never lifts a finger to help you, okay? It gets worse, okay? <laughs> On top of that, you can't argue with Mr. Law because he doesn't just think he's always right, he actually is always right. <laughs> Mr. Law doesn't, you know, like sometimes I think I'm right and I'm wrong, right? Husbands, wives, right? But you can't argue with Mr. Law. He doesn't just think he's always right. He is always right. Look at this. Romans 7, 12, it says this. So then the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So there's this authoritarian, dominating husband who's always holy, righteous, and good, who doesn't lift a finger to help you in any way, shape, or form, okay? It's never good enough, no matter how hard you try. And then Paul says here, you can't just go divorce Mr. Law and marry Jesus, 
because your domineering yet always holy, righteous, and good husband is still alive. And if you did that, you would be committing adultery. You'd be committing spiritual adultery. And the law is still alive, right? And you think to yourself, well, maybe I could just wait for Mr. Law to die, and then I can go marry Jesus. And then you find out an even bigger problem. You find out the law is actually going to outlive you. Okay, Matthew 5.18 says this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least uh, stroke of a pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So you've got this law that's going to outlive you. How do we get out of being married to Mr. Law? He's not a good husband, okay? Mr. Law condemns us, he crushes us, he doesn't help, and he's going to outlive us. This is a pretty big problem for us, okay? Okay, so let's get to some good news. What's the good news? The good news is the law doesn't die, but we can actually die to the law, okay? We can actually die to the law itself. Um, it's like faking your own death to get out of an abusive marriage, okay? I don't know how to get out of this marriage. This guy's abusive. He's going to follow me. If I just leave, he'll find me. But if I fake my own death, then maybe, right? So... In a way, that's kind of what happened with Jesus. Okay, Romans chapter 7, 1 through 6. I'm going to read this whole thing, and then when, when we get to verse 4, you'll see what happened. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband only as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay, we're good? Okay, verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, he doesn't say the law died. He says, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Come on, it's good news. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Okay, we, in order we might get out of performance and bear fruit to God, right? For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. Fear, guilt, shame, right? That's fruit to death. Fear, guilt, shame, rinse and repeat. Fear, guilt, shame, rinse and repeat. That's the law, okay? But now, verse six, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from Mr. Law, so that we can serve in the new way of the spirit and marry Jesus, hallelujah, in the new way um, and not in the old way of the written code. Come on, guys. That's good. <laughs> we die to the law, okay? Are you starting to get the picture here? We die to the law. Okay, if, <clears throat> if you are in Christ, Galat here, let me read this verse. This is, this is too good to pass up. Galatians chapter 4 <clears throat> I think hits it on the head. Paul is writing a letter to people who are being seduced and lured to go back under the law after they've received Jesus. How many times has this happened to us? Right? We've come under Jesus, and for whatever reason, we're being lured to go back under. And much of the church preaches a mixture of law and grace. Much of the church preaches a mixture of law and grace. They don't understand this. Okay, Galatians. I should have marked it. Getting close. General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians. Okay. Galatians 4, 8 through 9. 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Verse 9. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are returning, you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Or another translation would say, weak and miserable principles. Paul's like, you've been set free under Christ, you've been set free under grace. Why are you returning? Why are you wanting to go back on the law and return to those weak and miserable principles that bound you, oppressed you, and like that taskmaster husband who was never good enough. It was never good enough for him. Okay, I'm going to read a story, and I want you to observe whether this story is based on love or on something else, okay? Once a woman was married to a really mean husband. No matter what she did for him, it was never enough. At the start of each day, he would take out a to-do list for her to do. At the end of the day, he would examine it to make sure she had done all that she was supposed to do. The best compliment she ever got was, huh, if she finished everything. She grew to hate her husband. When he died unexpectedly, she was embarrassed to admit she was relieved. A year later, she met a friendly, loving man who was everything the former husband was not. They fell in love and were married. Every day they spent together seemed better than the day before. One afternoon, as she was cleaning out boxes in the attic, a crumpled piece of paper caught her eye. It was an old list that her first husband used to make out uh, for her. She couldn't help reading it again. To her shock and amazement, she discovered that without even thinking about it, she was now doing for her new husband all the things she used to do to the husband that she hated. Her new husband never forced her to do anything, any of these things, but she was doing them anyway because she loved him. So listen, under Christ, under grace, under love, Matt gave this amazing illustration. There's more, there's actually more responsibility under grace. Do we we live, is, is grace a license to live any way we want? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the if you're preaching grace correctly, that's actually a question that people ask if you're doing it correctly. That is a natural question to ask. Can I go sin? Can I do whatever I want? Absolutely not. We've died to sin. We've been resurrected with Jesus. How could we live in sin any longer? But we get the cart before the horse so much. We try to do good to be accepted by God. And when we don't do good, we're not accepted by God, right? We have to start from the finish line and realize we are loved, valued, and accepted. And we live from that place, from approval, not for approval. Amen? <clears throat> she did it because she loved him. There was, um, in the, the law, there's the letter of the law. You have to do this. In the new covenant, we don't live by the letter of the law. We live by the spirit of the law. We live by love. We operate out of love. And you, Matt gave this amazing illustration when you're driving through Montana and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is not Wyoming anymore. There's no speed limit, right? I can go as fast as I want. I can crank it up. And then he realized like, you know, when your car's doing this and you're going 120, it's like, you look in the back seat. Oh, my kids are here. I'm here. This isn't safe. I'm not acting in love right now. I, have a, I actually have a greater responsibility right now than I had before. Grace actually empowers you to live the way Christ lived here on earth. It, listen, Jesus on this earth, he did many things. And he's our model to live after, to walk after in so many ways. He healed the sick. He laid down his life, right? He loved he, he served. He was a servant leader. Jesus, in so many ways, um, modeled a life that we should live. But if you don't get this, at Jesus' baptism, he lived, he lived his whole life. All that was underneath a revelation that he already had, okay? 
And we can get busy doing a bunch of things, but there's a revelation that God wants us to have before we do anything. Okay, this is the revelation. At Jesus' baptism, before he did any public ministry, before he healed people, before he cast out demons, before he died for us, you know, before he gave his life, at his baptism, the voice from heaven, the Father's voice from heaven came in and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. And I just want to say this morning, have you ever heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son to yourself. This is my beloved daughter to yourself in whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived under the revelation of sonship. And out of that revelation, he did everything that he did, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's how you and I can live. Revelation of being a son or being a daughter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can live as Jesus did on this earth. That he's our model, okay? If the God you know is like the first man in the story, the domineering, overbearing husband, the taskmaster, the list master, I want to encourage you to, if that's your religion, I want to encourage you to dump your religion. You can go ahead and dump your religion. Rather, you can die to that religion. You can die to that law. You can die to that old person and come into relationship with Jesus and be married to Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus is like. Let me tell you what this husband is like. Okay. He's always compassionate and understanding. Jesus is always loving. Jesus isn't nagging you. Jesus is not the taskmaster. Let me say that again. Jesus is not the taskmaster. Do, 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 do. Don't, 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 don't. He's he's a loving husband who tenderly leads. Yes, God convicts us. Yes, God changes and transforms our heart. Yes, our behavior changes because of relationship. But he's always available to help you. The law never lifted a finger to help you, told you what was wrong with you, never lifted a finger to help you. Jesus, his burden is easy, his yoke is light, he will always help you. When you make, he's always there to help you up. He's always there to bring you along, okay? That's who Jesus is. When you were wrong, he took the blame. Like when you were wrong, he took, oh, you did that? I'll take that, I'll take the blame. I'll pay for that on the cross for you. When you were wrong, when I was wrong, he took the blame for us. And in him, you are good enough no matter what because you start from the finish line. You start from being a son and daughter of God and you live from approval, not for approval. Amen? All right. I hope you guys get it. Are you righteous? Yes. Come on. Are you accepted? Yes. Are you living from approval or for approval? From approval. Awesome. I love it. Why don't you guys stand on your feet and I'll have Emily come close the service. And I just, there was no microphone problems, praise God. (laughs) I want to pray that we get this. Like, our vision for City Lights Church is to be be shining lights in the city. You will never shine Jesus without reservation and hesitation if you don't understand that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is your identity. It is who you have become. And I want to just pray an impartation of this over you today. And I want to pray that you, you guys get this. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for every individual, God. This is the gospel, and this is what you've called us to, Lord God. You've called us, God, to to understand our position before you as sons and daughters of the Most High King, Lord God. And I thank you that grace doesn't take advantage, God. Grace empowers, Lord God. And I thank you, God, that um, what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God, you did by sending your own son to this earth. So, God, I ask for grace to do its work in our hearts, Lord God. I ask for grace to do its work in our lives, Lord God, and convince us that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're loved, valued, and accepted. I pray, God, we live from approval, not for approval, Lord God. 
And I thank you, God, that a life well played is a life who understands that they are sons and daughters of the Most High King. So, God, I bless and release this um, over everyone here, Lord God. I pray that it would sink deep, Lord God, and we would dump religion. We would break up with the taskmaster, and we would be married to Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.